It's that time again. It's ASGCA Insights, the official podcast of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And now, from our studios in beautiful Brookfield, Wisconsin, it's your host, Mark Whitney. Welcome to ASGCA Insights. My guest today is Gary Collins. Gary has spent more than 25 years in the private club, resort, and golf business. Today, he serves as a partner with Master Club Advisors. Prior to partnering with MCA, Gary served as general manager of Frenchman's Reserve Country Club in Palm Gardens, Florida. Gary, welcome to ASGCA Insights. Hey, Mark. Good to be with you. Uh, it's crazy times and not the new normal. It's, uh, it seems we're doing more and more uh, uh, Zoom meetings and, and uh, conversations by computer, but it's nice to connect with you uh, and, and good to be with you this morning. Thank you very much. That uh, that brief bio that I just read just sort of scratches the surface of, of the experience. And, and I'd say passion uh, that you have for the club industry and for the game of golf. So let me start off by asking from your chair and from hearing what your contemporaries are experiencing, how is the club industry doing these days? Listen, uh, you know, the global view, the satellite view is it's far better than, you know, you'll often read in the press about, you know, how bad golf is. The global view is uh, golf is healthy. It's a great sport. And, you know, you're right. Passion is the greatest sport in the world. Love it. Uh, uh, Right now in this pandemic, I mean, it's a strange time for all of us. And of course, golf resorts are hurting more than other facilities. But in general, golf is good in this pandemic. Uh, More people are playing. You know, I'm sure you've seen this from NGF and from other reporters, uh, organizations that report rounds are up. I mean, people are playing golf because you can physical distance. One of the terms people are wanting to use is a physical distance rather than social distance, because you can physical distance while you're playing golf, but you're still socially connected. And uh, rounds are up. And in my own personal country club where I'm a member, uh, I was Palm Beach County where I live had closed golf for a while which was a mistake. We can talk about that more in a bit because golf is one of those things you could have done. But when they reopened it, I was very excited. I was busy doing something that morning and I didn't get around to checking for a tea time at the club till three or four in the afternoon. And there were no tea times for four straight days. Every tea time it's, it was gone. So uh, in the club world, we're seeing people play golf. Now the food and beverage operations are struggling. No question. And you know, if you typically had a July 4th barbecue and tournament, you're not having that, but uh, but uh, the golf industry, despite the pandemic, is a is a is a healthy industry. And we've seen things uh, with uh, daily fee courses and public courses, uh, as you mentioned, uh, more people playing and tea she- uh, tea times being filled. We've also seen a num- numerous examples of uh, more families playing or more individuals who may uh, be latent players who haven't played in a number of years coming out and playing because of the reasons that you mentioned, the ability to, to get outside and, and get some exercise. Uh, is that happening at, at the club level as well? No question. Uh, many clubs, particularly here in Palm Beach County, are still not allowing guests. Members can play, but guests cannot play. You know, they're closed off for good reasons. They're trying to stay healthy. But when guests can't play, it certainly means you're playing more with a family. You can't get your buddies in there on the, on the guests. Your club buddies can play with you, but you can't get your, uh, your, uh, some of your regular outside group in on guest fees. So there's no question we're seeing more family play. We're pe- seeing people spend more time together. Uh, and it's one of the great things about golf is, uh, is, is that aspect of it. 
And I think we're seeing that certainly in the club world, but we're seeing it in the uh, uh, public play wor uh, world as well. I mean, we're seeing no question more family play and we're seeing people in the clubs who had uh, some of the guys who still may be members, but had stopped and were only playing, you know, one time a week, all of a sudden with this shutdown, they're playing three and four times a week. So not only are we seeing more family play, we're seeing people who had stopped playing or playing less coming back to playing. And we're seeing people who are social members of the club who weren't that interested in the golf all of a sudden saying, Hey, golf's one of the things I can do. So they're, uh, the, the social members are uh, getting interested in golf. So those demographic profiles you described exactly, uh, former golfers, family golfers, uh, new golfers are actually coming to the game more in the pandemic than they were before the pandemic. And the, the people that, that tune in and, and, and listen into AFCCA Insights are obviously uh, involved, invested in the game, are fans of the game. Uh, therefore, do you think they, the folks listening also have a bit of a responsibility right now for all these new folks and, 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 and returners coming to the game uh, for the uh, impression that they leave upon these folks? In other words, is there a chance that the game comes out with an improved status on the back end of this, depending upon how these family members and, and, and new players are treated at the course? No question. And listen, you know, I'm a, I'm a very uh, optimistic guy, but uh, absolutely, I believe that there's a silver lining in this pandemic for golf. We're getting new and more people playing. And I believe all of us who make a living in this industry and who love it, whether you make a living in it or not, have a responsibility to help grow the game. And by that, I mean, it's a it's more than being courteous to new members. Of course, being courteous is part of it, but it's being a social connector. It's it's uh, helping people. You know, one of the one of the biggest reasons we get when people don't play golf is they have nobody to play with. Let's help them find somebody to play with. You know, let's help them uh, make connections that make golf possible. It's ironic that you bring this up, but uh, in the last uh, three weeks, guys that I haven't talked to in probably a, a year that were friends at one time and were business associates who with downtime I've wound up talking to, I've had uh, golf games with uh, with three people who hadn't played in, in six months within the last two weeks. And they all said, oh, my God, I, I don't know how I got so busy and and uh, and stopped playing so much golf. I've got to get back into golf. So, yes, uh, I think we have those of us who love the game have a responsibility to grow the game. And listen, just as decent and kind human people, we we really ought to be connecting people and and helping people find people to play the game with. So, Gary, with the with the work that you have done advising clubs throughout throughout your professional career, uh, how should clubs be approaching these unique times that we're a part of right now? We've heard from golf course architect. We've heard from builders about various projects. In some cases, projects being put on the fast track because of current course status. Uh, and this can include everything from early discussions or planning on up to construction itself. Is this a good time for clubs to be looking at planning opportunities with an architect? Absolutely. We, uh, you know, we have seen this already, you know, in the beginning, uh, not just uh, from the golf course architect side, the side you care about, but uh, from the building side, you know, people are saying uh, contractors were looking for work. Uh, uh, building architects were looking for work. Uh, clubs that had some projects they were looking at started moving, uh, looking at moving forward sooner rather than later. I think it's absolutely happened. We certainly saw it on the maintenance side. You know, while we were closed at my own club, it was like, well, let's catch up on a lot of the things that we normally do that disrupt play. We're closed anyway. Let's get the airification complete. 
let's get the bunker renovation complete before we reopen this thing. So listen, the pandemic has posed lots of problems for us as a world and as a nation, and they're going, it's going to continue. This second wave in Florida is, uh, seems to be very real. But despite all those, pro those problems it's creating, there's also some silver lining in here. People really want to play golf, and people are looking at working on projects while they have this time. Speaking with Gary Collins of Master Club Advisors, Gary, the, the golf industry takes a backseat to no one when it comes to charitable programs. And one that I know you've been involved with over the past decade is something called the 100-Hole Challenge. Uh, so can you, can you explain a little bit to our listeners about what the challenge is all about? And, and then also segue from that into how the format has taken off in recent months, thanks to an organization called Clubs Help. Absolutely. You know, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I love, listen, you know, you know this and your listeners know this. If you combine Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, hockey, NFL, you could combine them all. They don't raise half of what golf raises. I mean, golfers are a very generous lot and we do great things that make the world and our communities better place, a better place. And we've been playing marathon golf here in South Florida through the club managers of the Seminole region. I've been doing that for nine years and raised $1.6 million. And in the midst of this, this club helps organization, uh, go to clubhelps.org. I encourage all your listeners, go to clubhelps.org and look at this. This club's help group started the 100-hole challenge and we've joined in with them. We used to be Seminole region uh, marathon golf. We're now clubs help Seminole region 100-hole challenge. Basically the same concept though play a hundred holes, get people to donate on a per hole basis or a flat dollar basis. And when you go to the club helps website, you'll see they started as uh, in response to COVID. They were trying to help hospitals and workers on the front line. And it was help that needed to happen. And they did it and they did it in a big way. They, they uh, Jupiter medical center here got $250,000 other hospitals around the country got additional money. But as they got into this and they said, you know, there's golfers give and they want to give and there's there's more to this than just the pandemic. Let's start doing this 100-hole challenge for any charity that a club wants to do it for. So your club, your private club or your public facility can pick or any listener, any corporation can pick any charity they want to work with and participate in the 100-hole challenge and raise money for that 100-hole challenge. And um, one of the things I, I'm really happy about with this and one of the reasons we joined in our Seminole Region Marathon Golf joined the 100-hole challenges. They're taking what I call uh, the big tent approach. Uh, the people endorsing this run the gamut. Jack Nicholas has endorsed it. Ernie Els has endorsed it. If you go to their website, you'll see videos of the, those guys talking about this. Now, they mostly talk about hospitals, and it's gone from more than just hospitals to foundations or whatever you want to raise money for. But... Uh, CMAA, the Club Managers Association of America, has endorsed it. The National Club Association, NCA, has endorsed it. The number of organizations getting on board with this is uh, large and growing. I had a conversation this morning with the executive director of the uh, National Golf Course Owners Association, and he told me I could say on the radio that uh, it's not official yet. They haven't, uh, but he thinks it will be official soon. They're very they like the what's going on. They like what they see. And I think we will soon have the National Golf Course owners endorsing and supporting this as well. So it's rapidly growing. 
many of the major players in the industry are supporting, including corporations. Some of the corporate entities in the in the in the uh, golf and club industry are going to be getting behind this, and you're going to be seeing a lot more of it. It's a it's it's a great program. I just I cannot say enough positive things about it. The thing that I found interesting, Gary, in looking at uh, looking at the website clubshelp.org uh, and reading some of their material is that for the uh, for the national perspective that the, that the program has, and you just and you just mentioned uh, some of that, whether it's from the organization standpoint or some of the uh, some of the bigger names in golf who, who are a part of this as well, and you mentioned the corporations. This is also very much a grassroots type of program, isn't it? Especially in terms, I'm thinking, uh, with the idea that money being raised at facilities is staying within those local communities. Absolutely. One of their taglines is unite unite nationally, care locally. All the money you raise stays in your, 90% of the money stays in your area. 10% goes to club helps and then they use that for charities. It's not for bureaucratic overhead. They, they have uh, they do really good stuff with the money they get. But 90 percent of the money that's raised stays right in the local area. You pick the charity that you that you want to help. And you're 100 percent right. It's very much a, a grassroots. Uh, that's a great expression for a 100 hole challenge because we're out there on the grass doing it. It's a very much a grassroots uh, program. People have to play. They have to play at the local level. They have to give of their time and their energy. Listen, if you get up early in the morning and play till dark, you're you're your one you're one tired guy or gal, but you've raised money for something that you really care about. You've made the world a better place. Golfers have passion and they put that passion to work. I love in the middle of this pandemic that there are people who and rightfully so, we all need to be careful and and you know, we want to be stay healthy. But there are some people who you know want to hide in the cave and golfers are getting out there and uh, playing 100 holes and raising money to make their communities a better place. I mean, you got to love that. Talking with, with Gary Collins. And Gary, one of the things that I've enjoyed about the past couple of months since we've introduced the ASGCA Insights podcast uh, is getting to know uh, where the fire started for, for the folks that we've talked to along the way. What, what got them going in, in, into this game and into this industry? Uh, what was it for you? What, what, was, what was the spark that, that, that got you into working in the, in the golf and, and club industry as opposed to something else where you might have turned your passions? It is funny how we come to this business. Of course, I love golf. I love golf as a kid growing up. And, you know, you're looking for what to do in uh, in your life as you get older. And I was a student at Texas A&M and I was really an undetermined major. And but I love golf so much. And, you know, I'm looking around and I see this agronomy program. You know, I wasn't a good enough player that I was ever going to make it on the PGA Tour. And I see this agronomy program. I think now this could be pretty cool. I could work in golf, you know, that this could be a good thing. And of course, I, uh, I graduate from Texas A&M with a, a, a degree in agronomy, and I go to work for a city municipal golf division, uh, the city of Austin, Texas. And they, uh, the city employees, could reimburse, could be reimbursed for going to school. So while I'm working for the city, I start going to the University of Texas, which in in Texas is called schizophrenia. I have I have <laughs> degrees from both uh, Texas A&M and the University of Texas. I love them both. They're great institutions. But golf is what got me into both institutions. And from the public side of golf, I got recruited to uh, Mr. Dedman's Club Corporation of America early in its development and uh, went from the agronomy side to the club management side. And it's just been a it's been a joyful ride. I can't tell you how much fun 
you know, they say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And, you know, there's some days, of course, when it does feel like work, when it can be a difficult day. But I'll tell you this, it's it, golf is a great business to be in. And it's been a great life for me. Uh, fascinating uh, the, uh, background. I've got to admit, I, I think I stopped listening somewhere where I was trying to picture you as both an Aggie and a Longhorn at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> they give you medication for that in Texas. It's, you know, I it's, imagine they do. Gary, thank you. Th thank you so much for joining us. My guest has been Gary Collins of Master Club Advisors. Gary, thanks for the time. Mark, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. If you get to Florida, come find me and we'll put it on a tee somewhere. Absolutely. And that concludes this episode of ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can find past episodes of this podcast and more information about golf course architecture at ASGCA.org or download past episodes at Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. And until next time, so long.